Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, and welcome to another edition of The Grain Feed, brought to you by EverAg. This is your weekly news feed for all things grain and all things feed. Each week, we bring you updates on the markets with unique perspectives from amazing team of analysts with the intention of helping dairy and livestock producers manage their risk. I'm your host, Jim Matthews, reporting from the Chicago office, reporting from the home office in DFW, Director of Feed Procurement, Mr. Jake Kingsley, and returning to the grain feed from upstate and or western New York, dairy broker and agent and disappointed Bills fan, Kathleen Wolfley. Team, how are we today? Pretty good this morning, Jim. Thanks. That was a cheap shot, so... I was doing better until you made a comment about the Bills, so thanks, Jim. Feel free, Kathleen, to remind me, loyal Bears fan, that we were literally the worst team in the NFL. That also means that you get a pretty good draft pick, so... We do, we do, which we will probably (laughs) trade out of because we don't know what to do with good draft picks. So moving (laughs) forward, good to have you both on the show. It's been an interesting week or so here. Kathleen, we're going to ask you in a couple minutes to run through the milk markets and then Jake through feed. Let's take a quick look at the board this morning. So Paige, if you'd kindly timestamp the broadcast, it's Thursday morning... Grain and feed markets are trading firmer across the board. And in the last 30 minutes or so, much firmer. So it's been quite the move here this morning. Old crop corn is now heading into those upper channels of its recent range. It was hitting 680 here this morning, targeting last week's highs and the post-WASDI report highs. This is despite continued relief from Argentine rains this week and forecasted rains for next and although this morning's export sales report was strong, it comes nowhere close to putting a real dent in the USDA's export projections for this marketing year. Also had an update from Mexico's Ag Ministry this morning, confirming that they will try to replace maybe 30 to 40 percent of its yellow corn imports by 2024. So with China already pivoting from the U.S. to Brazil on corn, now Mexico, the USA's largest corn customer, will also be attempting to wean off of its northern neighbor. In the soy complex, old crop beans seeing a recovery back above $15 per bushel. Now it seems to be cementing itself above $15, helping hold that meal market, our stubborn little byproduct, near its highs. We've had beans see a little bit more activity in the export markets recently, but lately some of that strength has been capped by you know good rains and ideal growing conditions across Brazil, and now this week and next, perhaps Argentina. We will let Jake ultimately touch on how that all affects the feed markets here in a bit. But first, let's turn to Kathleen Wolfley in New York. Kathleen, what's the story with the milk markets? Man, it's a, been a really rough couple weeks for milk futures. Both class three and class four first half futures are trading around that mid $18 range. So it's been a, a little bit of a rough rough go here in the last couple of weeks. It's been a little bit of a rough go. And aside from just the milk markets being under pressure, we, as we just noted, are seeing feed markets continue to firm back up and potentially even test their recent highs. So as you said, kind of a rough couple of weeks. Kathleen, on the, on the milk side of things, what's been driving this downtrend in the milk markets? 
That's a great question, Jim. I, I really think that there are three things that are impacting the markets today. First thing, we've got a lot of milk out there. The USDA published December milk production figures for the US. We are up 0.8% year over year. That's not as big of an uptick as industry analysts expected. I think the, the average range I saw was somewhere around 1.8% in terms of expectations. So not quite as much in December, but I'd say that up is still up. The other thing that we're watching is European milk supply. They've got more milk in Europe as well. So just to put that in perspective, we've got growth in the US, growth in Europe, and I think it's good to remember that the EU produces 1.6 times as much milk as we do here in the US and seven times as much as they do in New Zealand. So when we see growth in Europe, when we see growth in the US, it really does uh, have the potential to make a, a big difference in terms of overall milk supplies. The second thing is US demand. It seems to be kind of struggling to keep up. Contacts are reporting a bit of slowing in restaurant traffic. Retail sales to start 2023 are pretty sluggish. Super Bowl is just a couple of weeks away, so the pipelines there um, to get product into the retail shelves or into restaurants, that those are basically full at this point. And we kind of go into the lull of pre-Easter timeframe. Easter is in early April, so we're kind of in this no man's land between the end of the holiday slash Super Bowl season and Easter in early April. The last thing is more export competition. We've got more milk in the EU, so that means more cheese, more milk powders, looking for a sale into the international market out of the EU, and their prices continue to fall. At the same time, we're picking up that key importers like Mexico and China have been relatively quiet. So just generally, we've got more export competition and perhaps a little bit smaller pie to work with in terms of who's actually looking for product. Okay, Kathleen, thank you for that explanation. So we know what's been driving these markets here, but where do we go from here? And that's kind of the question on everyone's mind is going forward. Uh, where does pricing go from this point? Yeah, in my opinion, I think we we could see some further downside. I don't have a great sense for how much and how long it could stay lower, but to just kind of put things into perspective, if CME spot prices stick near where they traded on Wednesday, so that would have been January 25th, it could drag class three values down below $17 a hundred ways. So I think that there is some potential that we could see some, some further downside. Generally, our suspicion is that if we do see these lower prices hit producers, especially considering how high feed costs have, have stayed and will potentially stay, I think we could eventually trim some milk production. But I always caution that it takes longer than we think to see milk come out of the system especially considering that we had a really good 2022. And I think folks deferred a lot of milk checks into 2023. I think there were some expenses that were prepaid. So producers may not be sitting in such a tight situation right here, right now. Um, so it could just generally take a little bit longer than, than we expect. From a producer risk management perspective, I, I did want to call out that the deadline to sign up for USDA's dairy margin coverage program is January 31st. So that is next Tuesday. We really highly recommend that that dairies do sign up for that program. I believe at the 950 margin threshold, right now futures are, are pointing to a potential for some payout there. And I'd add too that Producers should take a, a good hard look at managing their risk for the second quarter at this point. Okay, excellent. Thank you for that, Kathleen. Those are some very uh, excellent notes. Key deadline, uh, as you noted, for next week on Tuesday. So please 
keep that date in mind and of course reach out to Kathleen or your dairy broker and agent for further information. Let's turn it over to the feed commentary that we are all hungry for, Mr. Kingsley. What's the story in those markets this morning? Well, I think a big story we've been watching here, of course, has been South American weather for quite a while. Brazil is just a matter of a week or two away from harvesting their first acres there in the northernmost regions. And we've been seeing some good weather throughout the growing season there. And we've been kind of monitoring some less than ideal conditions in Argentina. Their grain exchanges down there actually issued right around the time of our last WASD two weeks ago a scenario A and a scenario B of what production would look like should they get good rains over the next few weeks or stay dry. Um, And it was a swing of something to the tune of six or seven million metric tons in production in both corn and soybeans, I believe. Um, And fortunately, they've caught a couple of favorable rains here recently, and they're forecast to continue to do so. And we've been talking about it's not too late for those rains to benefit the crop and really help pods fill out on the bean crop there. So there is potential that we have curbed some of the yield loss down there. And with Brazil set to produce record bean crop and have a nice corn crop and really be in good shape to come back in behind this harvest and put in sizable safrina crop in good growing conditions, good planting conditions. We're really starting to look at potentially changing the global balance sheet a little bit here and start to to at least stabilize and potentially start to pad these numbers out a little bit. That's been a big talk. It, it created a little bit of a softer tone in the futures market here over the last week or so. Bounced up a little bit here this morning, probably in response to some Russia-Ukraine tensions. Looks like the U.S. and NATO are getting a little bit more involved on the front lines there as far as sending additional equipment. Russia's not a big fan of that, obviously. And so that's bringing them back into the headlines more so than they had been in the last couple months. Uh, We're coming up on the one-year mark of that entire war really kicking off. Um, And I think that brings around a couple of things worth monitoring. So does Russia renew their aggression and make a stronger push in there? It's hard to know for sure what they're going to do with that. But we also have the grain corridor agreement that expires, I believe, in March. Um, So will they renew that and honor it to allow grain to continue to flow out of there? Or will they change their stance on that with spring coming on? And also Ukraine's planting and growing season very much aligns with a large chunk of the Midwest United States here. So they're they're 100 days or so away from planting there too. The Ukrainian Grain Association over there put out a projected number for what we say 18 million metric tons of, of corn production for this coming crop year. 2020 and 2021, they were on average something like what 36 million metric tons. So that would be half of of what they were doing pre-war and yet another 33% or so less than what they did last year after the war had kicked off. So big question marks around what's going to happen over there, of course, being one of the top four corn exporters in the world. So something to keep an eye on there. And then you come back to the U.S. and of course, we're we're looking at planting season being 
just about three months away now. So what's that going to look like? We're starting to get some precipitation in parts of the country that had been dry over the last couple of years, or at least drier than they like to be, particularly east of the Mississippi seems to have removed themselves from the drought monitor. Some of the western portions of the grain belt are starting to shape up a little bit better. Even parts of Kansas and Texas uh, that were really dry and the high plains have caught some some significant snowfall this week that could uh, add a little bit of relief there. Of course, we know California's caught quite a bit of rain and snow over the last month, month and a half. Uh, their snowpack levels are set to carry them well into the dry period out there. And so uh, I think we're setting up for a real opportunity to maybe break these weather cycles here in the U.S. and have a decent crop come off or at least get a good start on a decent crop here. Forage growing conditions out in California are much better than they had been. Uh, it doesn't solve the long-term problem, but guys are feeling pretty good about their alfalfa and wheat crops out there, put, being able to put up something good this spring and have plenty of water to get a good silage crop going. So that could relieve us of a little bit of grain corn demand going that direction. It could relieve us of some fiber and forage products that are going that direction as well. Um, that could soften up things in the Midwest for our dairy producers that are buying high priced things like soybean meal and cotton seed and, and seeing a lot of corn move west from further east than it normally would. So there's a few things shaking out there that, that I think uh, some of those could see uh, some beneficial movement for our, our end users say March forward, but certainly setting up for the new crop contract period, October forward uh, to maybe break this thing down. Now, basis is still firm here, particularly in the West, all these rail dependent markets. Corn's come maybe 15, 20 cents off of its highs, but it's still historically strong. Soybean meal never really softened up a whole lot. Canola meal remains firm. And I think that those are probably going to hold that tone for most of the rest of this uh, crop year until we get into maybe the late summer months and start to really know what's left in the bins and what the next coming crop looks like. But there's potential to see that finally break as we get into the new crop period, especially with Brazil shipping as much corn as they're expected to ship to China, uh, Mexico making statements that they're trying to reduce their dependence on U.S. corn for their feed channels there. We're seeing somewhat of a somewhat of a fundamental shift in the marketplace here, particularly on the demand side, that I think could finally change this thing for us. So quite a few moving parts still to shake out. Plenty of time to work through this. We've got, of course, a lot of this hangs on how the weather plays out, but uh, I think you have opportunity to manage your your risk early at some decent prices, but potentially take advantage of some nice breaks in the market, maybe for the first time in a little while here. So a lot to chew through here over the next couple months. That's exactly right. Thank you for that, Jake. And to touch on some of the, we call them like the back burner issues because we're trading or focusing on the South American weather stories, of course, right? That's kind of the day-to-day headlines for those of us in the grain and feed markets, what might be driving uh, the markets here on a even day or midday basis at times. Uh, but it's good to keep those back burner stories in mind as the Abrams and Leopards apparently will be running across uh, Ukrainian fields here this spring. Um, good for you to note the continued reduction in 
projected Ukrainian production on both corn and wheat, but also what that might do to their sunflower crop, let's say, and overall global oil seed supplies. Uh, and again, U.S. planting is just around the corner. It's hard to believe, especially on another snowy 20 degree day here in Chicago, but we'll be about two months away from planting intentions released by the government at the end of March. So we're also keeping an eye on that new crop bean to corn ratio, which continues to change week to week here. Um, So lots to keep an eye on. I'm going to throw out a bold prediction for you, Jake, borrowing this from Kathleen, bold prediction for you, Chiefs fan. The audience knows you live in DFW, but we all know where your roots are. What's going to happen to the Chiefs this weekend? Man, I think it's going to be another pretty close game, uh, even with Mahomes on one leg. I I think there's maybe a chance that our defensive line could take advantage of their injured offensive line and put a little pressure on Burrow. I think this one's going to be another close one. I, of course, I'm biased. I think the Chiefs are going to win it. Um, I don't believe in this whole underdog thing that they've got going on right now. Um, I think it's going to be closer than most think, and I, I expect to see the Chiefs in the Super Bowl here in a, in a couple of weeks. Okay, bold prediction. Chiefs in the Super Bowl. We didn't think that would have been a bold prediction a couple of weeks. I'll say it. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. That's the bold prediction we are looking for, Jake. Thank you for that. Kathleen, would you like to make a bold prediction or just tell us your opinion or preferences as to who's going to win? I'm going to go ahead with preferences. This may irk some Bills fans, but I'd like to see I'd like to see the Bengals in the Super Bowl again. I think that's understandable. Let the team that beat you yeah. win it all kind of gives yourself some I don't know, a little bit of comfort knowing that you lost to the champion. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I just continually have a a, a bad taste in my mouth from the Chiefs. Sorry, Jake. Well, yeah. Well, we were not going to end the show on a divisive note because it's so wonderful to have you two here together providing excellent expertise and insights into the grain feed and dairy markets to help our dairy and livestock producers. So thank you both. Excellent work. Thank you to Kathleen for returning to the show. Great to have you back. We would also like to thank Corey and the Everag Insights crew for their support. Thank you to Paige for her production magic. And thank you to the viewers. For watching the grain feed, contact information is on the screen. We greatly appreciate your feedback. That's all for today. See you next time on the grain feed.